stop to remember the passion of Jesus. Now, the word passion in this case has a unique meaning because it's describing the extent to which God is willing to go to save you. This story of Jesus's death and his resurrection that we'll celebrate next week is a story that has so many facets, it's difficult to consolidate them into a simple discussion. It's important that we acknowledge his human suffering. And for the most part, we Christians do that pretty well. I have often reflected over the years during this week on the crucifixion, on the humiliation, on the uh, the cruelty, the injustice, all the terrible things that people can do to one another. Over the years of my adult life, and particularly as a pastor, I've come to exp- to to especially appreciate the the uh, what I call the cosmic significance of this this event to know that there's so much more to it than what we can see and what we can comprehend. So as we read through the scriptures and as we go through this week together of remembering, there are a couple things I want to invite you to keep in mind. Um, I want you to understand this above all else. Jesus was in control. Don't miss the fact that Jesus is the one who's calling the shots. Now, don't be tempted to think that Jesus is some sort of suicidal, wild-eyed prophet with a death wish. He's not that. He is absolutely in control of this situation. Everything is done according to his timing. Every word that he says is calculated. Everything he does is calculated. Everything about this week of his passion is by design. It is meant especially to fulfill the heart of Jewish law because he's the one that gave it to Moses in the first place. He is the one who described from outside of space and time how everything would unfold. Now, that isn't to say that things are predestined or that they are in some way completely scripted, but what it means is is that the cosmic things, the higher level meaning of these things was always foreseen by God always known by God. And they are all purposeful. And what is the purpose? Well, this is something that, again, we could spend a great deal of time discussing, but the main thing to understand is that when God created people for a relationship with him, he had his son in mind. Eden was the place and the people called Adam or the people that God created are the ones that were made for that relationship. 
this eternal cosmic beyond our comprehension relationship that God the Father has with God the Son and the Holy Spirit is something that's very difficult for us to comprehend. It's difficult for us, and yet we have to face it as a reality nonetheless. I mean, there's a lot of things in our lives like that, right? You know, maybe you turn on your microwave 20 times a day, heat up food and eat or whatever, and you don't really know how it works, but you've become comfortable with the fact that it does. And there's a million things like that in your life. So why not accept that God is beyond our ken, that God is so vastly superior to us, that God could love his son, who is himself in a form so much that he would desire to do something for that son that would be the ultimate reward and gift of love. And so God creates in the midst of what appears to be chaos, perfect harmony, perfect union, You've heard me say this a thousand times. I know I sound like a broken record, but they walked in the cool of the evening with God. I'm looking forward to that day personally. I can't wait till I can. Right now, I can't. But one day, it will be as it was intended to be. And so sin enters the situation. Sin becomes the problem that separates us from God that ends that harmony and there is an enemy that is bent on our destruction bent more on bitter frustration with God and determination to defeat every good and perfect thing God ever set out to do and of course to defeat God's son and so this week it'll be tempting for us to think that that's what this is about that that's what we're watching is the devil's victory but it's not not by a long shot it's a moment that is in is undefinable because of its cosmic significance jesus will suffer in the flesh in terrible ways that we will all grieve and and uh, wince at. And in our world of technology and storytelling, we want to make it more realistic every time it's portrayed, but that isn't really necessary. It's not really necessary. Suffice it to say, if there was a horrible way that you could treat another human being, they did it. They did it because they hated him. You'll want to remember that Jesus said that because they hated him, they're going to hate you too. So keep that in mind as we move forward in our journey with Christ. Let's read some scripture together. I'm going to read Matthew 21 now, verses 1 to 11. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. It's on page 981 in your pew Bible. 
Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied to a colt with her. You uh, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their colt, the cloaks. And he sat then and on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Notice that Jesus is in control of the circumstances. Don't miss that. He's decided when this is going to happen, how it's going to happen. It's all been according to his control. Notice this. It's a provocative thing that he just did. I mean, in Roman tradition, great generals who have won terrific victories in the battlefield enter the city the same way. They ride on the back of a, a, well, great horse, you know, a big powerful steed, but always to the glory and the laud and the honor of the people and, and to be celebrated for their victory. And Jesus is entering that way. And for, as far as the German, Germans, well, you know, there were Germans among the Romans, but let's just go back and get back to topic here. You'll wonder sometimes about the workings of your mind, and then it's better to stop. So the Romans were looking at this situation in that context and found it to be highly provocative. Of course, he's fulfilling prophecy, which Jesus has done methodically and precisely. And again, there is a note of, Irony and also an intentional slap in the face, you might say, to the Jewish authorities. He's saying unequivocally, I am the Messiah. That is an absolute reality based in what he's doing. And finally, the most subtle thing that's happening, the thing that most will not notice is that he is presenting himself in this moment, his entire path of this triumphal entry, his entire route, you might say parade route, you know, this entire journey that he's making into the city on that day we commemorate on Palm Sunday is taking him directly to the place where the lambs are sacrificed in the temple. The one thing nobody really thought was so provocative, and yet it's the most significant thing in the whole story, 
is that Jesus is presenting himself as a sacrificial lamb. You don't want to miss that. Now, the story shifts gears, and you've already heard, thanks to John and uh, Kimberly, some great information about this week that's coming up. So I'm not going to retell all the stories, but all that you will read in Scripture this week in your personal devotions, perhaps you'll watch some of the better movies that have been made about this, you will you will hear on Thursday and Friday here in worship. You, all of these incidents are all perfectly timed and entirely meant to be meaningful in the cosmic scale. Meant to be meaningful, not just for the sake of people. Now, this is the thing that we really forget about. And, and, and boy, if I've been stuck on a theme for the last year or two, it's been this. Church fails when we start to take ourselves too seriously. When we start thinking that somehow this is all about us, we fail as the body of Christ. And this whole Easter story is not really about us at all. We're in there. We're the prize, you might say. We're, we're what the cosmic forces that existed before Eden are fighting over. This might really blow your mind. Maybe you've never thought about it this way. But if you do think about it this way, it makes so much more sense out of what you read in scripture. The things Jesus does, the statements he makes, the actions he takes, everything that happens precisely as it's supposed to throughout this holy week, throughout these series of scripture readings are meant to deal with matters that sort of flow slightly just above our head but we're invited in because of them. I mean, there's the irony, you know. It, when it was going down, the people who didn't understand what was happening had every right to be ignorant. But us, not so much. We know better, or we should. And if I can help you in any way to know better, then, then I've done my job. But what you need to recognize is, is that this, this is a big confrontation between good and evil. This is the ultimate confrontation between the one and only true God, the Son and the Spirit, and all the supernatural forces aligned against them. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 to 29, jumping ahead in the story. 988 in your pew Bible. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, sought an he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have, a, have us prepare for uh, the Passover. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12. 
And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one, and to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And the son of man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man to whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink new with you in my Father's kingdom. There it is again, that utter and complete control over the situation. You recognize it? When does... Judas betrayed Jesus exactly when Jesus says so. Everything is done according to Jesus' timing. Everything is done according to God's intention. There's no mistaking that this event occurred when it did in alignment with Passover. And in the city of Jerusalem at a moment when the entire city was on fire with the fervor of the holiday and yet also there is this provocative thing that Jesus does as the week progresses and all these other provocative things that happen. And it's a tinderbox. It's a place that is ready to ignite in extraordinary ways. And Jesus is in control of all of it. This would be hard to understand when you are one of those people who's been clobbered by one of the tornadoes that passed through this part of the country this time of the year. But try to imagine that in the midst of all that chaos, Jesus is still in control. God is still in control. As a child of God, nothing happens to you that is not under his control. And then you have to think eternally. You have to think cosmically. You have to imagine a world that includes a lot more than your temporary time on earth in the flesh. And then these events begin to make more sense to you. Matthew chapter 27, page 992. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen and shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which had he had cut in the rock and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Now I've jumped ahead here in the story again, letting scripture tell us that everything happened according to plan. I don't want to go into the gory details today, but when I tell you that the word excruciating gets its meaning from the word crucifixion and it describes a particular kind of suffering and death, that's all I'm gonna say right now. But what I want you to hear more plainly 
is that even the way his dead body was treated was under control. Everything about even that part where he's no longer present in the flesh, he is still in control. Because typically when people were crucified, their bodies were left to rot on the cross. That was part of the humiliation of the thing. So what is this really about, you say? Well, it'll be easy because of our natural tendency to, well, you know, we call it rubbernecking when we're in our cars and we pass a gory accident, right? You know, we have a natural tendency to observe the circumstances around Jesus's death with this sort of morbid fascination. But if we could see for just a little while this year, the cosmic significance of it. The fact that Jesus not only surrendered himself to the enemies of his flesh, but he surrendered himself to the enemies of his soul, his heavenly father's enemy. That you might recognize that right before his arrest, which by the way, if you haven't really looked at the details, this week notice that everything that was done was done in violation of the very law that they upheld so dearly. That everything that was done to Jesus was utterly and completely illegal. And yet it happened. And remember what Jesus said when he told them that the world hates you because it hated me first. Remember this, and this from Colossians, the Apostle Paul, who was uniquely qualified to explain this to us. Colossians 2, page 1170. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In other words, this whole week, as sad and heartbreaking as it will be to remember and reflect on these tragic things is a victory song. This whole thing is a victory song. This whole thing is, believe it or not, Christ's joy to fulfill. And why? Because you matter that much to him. I will leave you with this idea, and I know that this will take some thinking. But that's what I hope this week is for you, a time of deep thought and prayer. I want you to imagine with me and believe with me that while he hung on the cross, he thought of you. When he was alone in the garden, separated from his father because of your sin, grieving this loss that he could never have comprehended until it happened, this separation from God that we experience all the time. 
While he prayed, let this cup pass from me, but no, your will be done. He was thinking of you. And you insert your name when you think about that. You look in the mirror this week and you say to yourself, he was thinking of you. Please. That's what this is about. This is, this is not about Easter candy and breaking your fast. This is not about the, the new outfit for Sunday worship on Easter or Sunday. It's not about all of that. It's about the fact that while he bled from the depth of his being in the garden and then bled out every life's drop of blood in his body, every living ounce of blood in his body, drained from him. He was thinking of you. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you and we praise you this day for things we don't even understand how to thank you for. Things that are beyond our comprehension. And we ask you to forgive us for our ignorance Forgive us for oversimplifying things and for, for more than anything, Lord, forgive us for thinking that this is about us, that this is about me. All glory, laud, and honor are yours, Lord Jesus, from now and always and forever. Amen.